thank you. Good morning. Well, Jago, thanks very much for the welcome. Great to be here uh, in this uh, historic church. Uh, people often ask me, J. John, what do you do? And it's always very difficult to know what to say in response to that question. Because uh, if I say that I'm a canon, you know, what does that mean? It's like it's all very confusing if, if I say that I'm an evangelist. That conjures up images in people's minds. So I like to be a little a bit creative in telling people what I do. And I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she said, oh, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me, and then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She says, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters and orphanages. We've got schools. We have feeding programs. We do marriage work. We do justice work. We do reconciliation work. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> she went, wow! I mean, her wow was so loud, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. Have you heard of it? Well, really, that's what we do as Christians. We are part of a global enterprise that transforms people and transforms the world. That is what we are all about. But then I had the journey from London to Singapore, non-stop conversation. And it became very obvious, even after a few minutes, that this woman's understanding of Christianity was a misunderstanding. And sadly, I find that in many of the places that we go, and we, we've been to 69 countries, we've been all over the UK, that a lot of people's understanding of Christianity is a misunderstanding. And that's why it's very, very important to know what do we believe and why do we actually believe it? And, um, and I, I'm a bit like a peripatetic teacher, uh, traveling and teaching what the Christian faith is all about. And, and I also uh, write about it. And I wrote this book called Jesus Christ, The Truth. In other words, the truth about Jesus Christ and explaining the historical evidence for Jesus, who he was, what did he say, what are the actual facts um, why did he die? What is the evidence for the resurrection? And how can you know this Jesus today? And um, if, you're, if you want to know more about Jesus, you might like to uh, pick up this book. And last year, I asked 10 children 
to send me all their questions about God and the Bible and Jesus. And they sent me about 70 questions. And I selected 32 of those questions. Who made God? Where does God live? Where is heaven? Will my dog go to heaven? Why? One of the questions was, uh, why do people die before they're old? Uh, why does God allow suffering? Anyway, so I've um, answered those 32 questions uh, for children, although I think adults will really enjoy this because the answers are simple. And, um, and uh, if that intrigues you, um, those are available afterwards uh, over there on my left, your right. But, you know, we want, we want to clear up people's misunderstandings. There's a very famous verse in the Bible uh, located in a gospel called John, chapter 3, verse 16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That one verse from the Bible kind of is a succinct verse that sums up the message of Christianity. Christianity is basically an invitation. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm sure you appreciate invitations. I mean, even if you can't go, you think, wasn't it nice they invited me? It's nice. Now, when you get an invitation to a wedding or something like a wedding, you get the invitation card and at the bottom of the card, you find the letters RSVP. Now, what do they stand for? Well, there was this professor uh, from overseas with his wife here in England for a semester. And while they were here, they received a wedding invitation. Bottom of the card, RSVP. Now, they didn't have that code back in their country. So the professor was trying to crack the code. And then he says to his wife, yes, his wife said, what? He said, RSVP, remember some wedding present. Now, you see, the professor, he thought it was a demand, but actually it was an offer. Now, you and I, we know what those letters stand for. They're French. Respondez, s'il vous plaît, which basically means, are you going to come? Are you coming? And people put a date. So if you don't reply by the date, you can't go. Now, every single one of us is being offered the Christian invitation today. RSVP, Sunday, the 7th of July, 2019. You're thinking, will I be offered it tomorrow? I don't know. You're like, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? Listen, none of us can guarantee that we're going to be alive tomorrow. That's why it's really important to reply to the invitation while you're still alive. Really important. Now, when you get an invitation, there are three things you want to know. One, who's it from? Two, who is it to? Three, what is it about? Okay, let me answer those three questions. Back to our verse. For God... God. It starts with God. G-O-D. Now, God. What does that mean? What does G-O-D mean? 
Did you know that when the first Russian astronaut returned from space, first interview, first question, did you see God? He said, no, I did not. And the Soviet Union heralded this as proof that God did not exist. When the first American astronaut returned from space, first interview, fourth question, did you see God? He said, I would have seen God had I stepped out of my spacesuit. Two completely different understandings of the word God. You see, you know, a lot of people today, they ask the wrong questions. You know, there was, I went to speak at one university and this student comes up to me and says, I can't believe in anything I don't understand. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, what are you studying? He said, agriculture. I said, okay. I said, tell me this. How is it possible for a black cow to eat green grass and produce white milk? You know, there's a lot of things in life we do not understand. Okay? It's only when we begin to ask the right questions that we can begin to understand. Because if you ask the wrong question, you can never get the right answer. So the right question to ask is, has this God revealed himself? Now, according to Christianity, God revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself throughout history. But God's greatest revelation of himself for all time, for all people, for all cultures, was in Jesus Christ. And honestly, I I can spend all day answering that question. I, I think I could, without having a break, I could talk to you for 10 hours nonstop about that. About that. But dig into that. Or other books. Or there's so much around that you can discover the evidence for that. God revealed himself in Jesus. Who is Jesus? According to the Bible, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. In other words, the king of the entire universe. The invitation is from him. Who to? For God so loved the world. Everybody. Now, just because we don't all acknowledge the invitation doesn't mean we're not being offered the invitation. It's from him, it's to you, it's to me. What is Christianity about? The Bible's got 800,000 words in it. What's it about? It's only about three things. That's all. The whole of Christianity is only about three things. One, forgiveness from the past. Two, New life here today. Three, a hope for the future. That is what Christianity is about. Everything else in the Bible is what you call commentary and application on those three principles. One, forgiveness from the past. Do you agree with the following statement? There are problems in the world today. Do you agree with that? Of course we will. Does anyone disagree with that? Good. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd invite you to come and speak to me afterwards. There are problems in the world today, globally, socially, domestically, personally. Now, many of the governments of the world, many charities, many social agencies are trying to alleviate the symptoms 
Now, if you try and alleviate the symptoms, you're always going to have the symptoms unless you deal with the root cause. So the question is, what is the root cause of everything that is wrong in the world today? I like the story um, of the mother who said to the, her husband, darling, look after Annie for me, their daughter, because I, I need to get on. So the father said, okay, that's fine. And he thought, what can I do to occupy Annie? And he's flicking through a magazine and he sees a map of the world. And he says to his daughter, Annie, watch what I'm going to do. He cut the map of the world into small squares and he muddled the squares on the floor. And he said, Annie, what I'd like you to do is I want you to put the squares back together again like a puzzle to make the map of the world. So the father thought, great, that will keep her occupied. But a couple of minutes later, she says, Daddy, I've done it. And he's like, well, she couldn't have done it, but let me have a look. He has a look. All the squares are put in exactly the right place. He said, Annie, how did you know where to put all the squares? Ah, she said, when you were cutting the map out, I looked on the other side and I saw a picture of a man and a woman. And I thought, if I could put the man and the woman back together again, I could put the world back together again. You see, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what's at the heart of everything that is wrong in the world today. It's the human heart. Now, I cannot be here father to one of your curates and not tell at least one story <laughs> about Reverend Michael John. I might slip into two stories, but I'm definitely going to tell one. And when Michael was about three and a half, four, that sort of age, he and I went to buy his mum, Killy, who's here today, uh, a Mother's Day present. So we walk into this store, and as we walked into the store, there, you could see a huge sign in front of us, that read, do not touch. All breakages must be purchased. Why did I not walk out? It's, it's obvious, isn't it? You read a sign like that, you've got a three and a half year old, why not just turn round and walk out? We didn't. So we started walking around. We both started touching. And the reason we both started touching is because the sign said, do not touch. And that sort of sign is rather annoying. So you want to push the boundaries a little bit and just touch the edge of things. But before I knew it, Michael had knocked over this beautiful thing off a shelf and it was one of those slow motion things where I could see it happening and I tried to catch it but I couldn't and it fell to the floor smashed before I knew it the manager was standing next to us didn't say a word just pointed to the sign 
So I said, I didn't do it. <laughs> he did it. it. It was him. And I even contemplated walking out. <laughs> well, so he could pay. It didn't say the parents should pay. All breakages must be broken. He broke it. It would have taken him 10 years of pocket money to pay for what he broke. He could not pay for it. Only his daddy could pay for it. You and I have broken a lot. We've broken God's commandments. We've broken relationships. We've broken ourselves. We cannot pay for all the breakages. Only our heavenly Father can pay for the breakages. Only he can do that. You see, what people don't realize is everything that we've done in this life has consequences. And the consequences are that it disconnects us from God. And it works a little bit like an overdraft in a bank account. If I have an overdraft and you have an overdraft, you can't help me, I can't help you. The only one who can help us is someone in credit. Only Jesus was in credit. And Jesus came into this world to die on a cross because by dying on a cross, it was as if he was cashing a check signed with his own blood to say, here's the check to clear your overdraft. There was a famous artist who went back to the very small rural community where he was born and brought up. And as he's walking around the village stores, he sees an antique shop and he looks into the window. He cannot believe what he sees. In the window is one of his masterpieces. It was a painting that he'd painted years before he was famous. The frame was broken. The picture was scratched and dirty, but it was his. But he couldn't go into the antique shop and say, that's my painting, give it back to me. If he wanted it back, he had to buy it back before he could clean it, restore it, and then get it reframed. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did for every single one of us. By dying on the cross, he was buying us back so that we could be cleaned, restored, and reframed. You and I are all being offered forgiveness from the past. I grew up in London, agnostic. And when I was a student in London, I met a Christian. And over a period of a year, as he helped me understand and he cleared these misunderstandings, I, I chose to begin to follow Jesus. And when I began that, it's, the light came on. My heart was warmed. My mind was illuminated. My mother said to me, you're brainwashed. I said, mom, my brain has been washed. 
If you only knew, mum, what was in my brain, you'd be pleased it got washed. It really did. You see, and many of us who are Christians, we can testify to the washing of our minds and the washing of our hearts. And it's a liberating, therapeutic, cathartic experience to experience forgiveness from the past. That's the first thing you and I are being offered. Secondly, we are being offered new life here today. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And this Jesus brings us life and he brings it to us life abundantly. New life here today. You see, the word Christian has got the word Christ in it. And if you remove the word Christ from the word Christian, you're left with I-A-N. Ian isn't going to help you. Now, I'm not saying Ian isn't a nice person. I'm sure Ian's a really nice guy. And I'm sure Ian would help change your tire if you had a flat tire. But he's not going to change your destiny. Not going to change your life. You know, to be a Christian means you're connected to Christ. It's a connection with Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, I honestly don't understand why so many people in Britain pretend to be Christians when you could actually become one. Why would I pretend to be one when I could be one? A real one. A Christian is someone connected to Christ. The most helpful analogy I've, I, I, I have found is, and work with me on this one, think of your life like a car, okay? To be a Christian means Christ is in your car, okay? And when I conclude, listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you, if you would like to begin to follow Jesus, or if you would like to return to following Jesus after a time of absence, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that by getting up out of your seats, out of the rows, out from the balcony, and coming and standing here at the front. And I'll explain that to you in a, in, in a few minutes, why I'm asking you to do that. Um, but look, if he's not in your life, you can have him in your life. Now, for many of us, though, if I said to you, is Jesus in the car of your life? Many of us here might say, yes, he is. He is in the car of my life. Great. Where is he in the car of your life? Do you drive your car to church, unlock the boot, get Jesus out for a religious happy hour, at the end of the service, get back in there. Other people have got Jesus on the back seat, a bit of a passenger. Other people have got him in the front passenger seat, so a little bit more of a companion, but still a bit of a passenger. Now, you're one step ahead of me, I know. You're thinking, oh, we know where you're going with this analogy, J. John. You don't, actually. Uh, but you're thinking, he's now going to say, is Jesus in the driving seat of the car of your life? I am. Is Jesus in the driving seat of the car of your life? Everyone who thought, yes, he is, I have one more question for you. Are you a backseat driver? 
The car gets to a roundabout. Jesus turns left. Where are you going? I'm going down the road of generosity. I don't want to be generous. You see, it's very easy to kind of say, I've got Jesus in my life, but am I actually following him? How do I know if Jesus is in the driving seat? You know, a friend of mine told me actually last week he was visiting and he said that he had a little light flashing in his car. And when you have a little light flashing in your car, a little red light, it says that something isn't quite right, isn't it? And he kept tapping it. He kept tapping it, thinking, oh, it must be a mistake. And he tried to stop the little red light. And he ignored it and he ignored it and he ignored it. And then he was driving to an event and his engine blew up. It literally blew up. See, many of us ignore little red lights. Many of us don't, aren't that eager to take our cars for an MOT. And we, we eventually do because it's the law, but we're hoping that we won't get a phone call to say, we need new brake pads, we need windscreen wipers, oh, we need more than an oil change. Actually, Mr. John, you need a new engine. Yeah? You see, sometimes we've got to realign the wheels, realign our lives. How do we know if he's in the driving seat? How do we know Jesus is first in our lives? F-I-R-S-T. Ask five questions. Is he first F in my finances? I, is he first in my interests? R, is he first in my relationships? S, is he first in my schedule? T, is he first in my troubles? If you can say he's first in my finances, interests, relationships, schedule, troubles, that's a great sign, he's first. Because when you've got Jesus in the driving seat by his spirit, his spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So how long have you been a follower of Jesus? Another test would be to ask, how fruity are you? Because one of the things that he wants to do is to produce this fruit. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if everyone in Clapham and the entire community and area displayed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do you think this entire community would be different? Well, can you imagine what would happen if the whole of England did that? See, it's when you let Jesus in by his spirit, that's what happens. For me, the tipping point came when uh, my friend at college in London, he showed me this verse from the last book of the Bible, from a book called Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. And it, it's got Jesus standing outside of a house, knocking. And these words, if you hear the, the knock, open the door and let Jesus in. And my friend read it to me, and he said to me, have you heard Jesus knocking? And I said, I think so. He said, have you opened the door? I said, where's the door? And he said, look, don't worry about where the door is. Just ask Jesus to break the door down. 
So I did. On the 9th of February, 1975, I said, Jesus, I don't know if it's you that's knocking on the door, but I'm assuming it's you. If it's you, can you break this door down? And as I did that, at 10 p.m. on the 9th of February, my whole world changed. Everything changed. And I've been a follower of Jesus ever since. I opened the door and I invited him in. And there's a beautiful painting trying to illustrate that verse by a man called Holman Hunt. Um, and um, it, the, the original painting, there are two, one's at Oxford University and one's in St. Paul's Cathedral to try and capture that, that verse. Open the door, let him in. What is Christianity? It's an invitation. Who from? It's from God delivered to us in Jesus. Who to? Every single one of us. What's it about? Forgiveness from the past, new life here today, and thirdly, a hope for the future. Back to John 3. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so whoever believes in him should not perish that have everlasting life. The Bible says the length of a good life is three score years and ten. Now, three score years and ten, that amounts to 70 years. And obviously, many of us have got parents, grandparents who are much older than that. So how does that work? Well, let's allocate 10 years per day of the week, okay? 10 years for Monday, 10 years for Tuesday, okay? This is how it works. In my life, I've already walked through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm Sunday morning. How's your weekend looking? Some people are given an extra bank holiday Monday. Some people are given an extra bank holiday Tuesday. Not many people are given an extra Wednesday. Very few people are given an extra Wednesday. But do you know this? If you were given seven days plus an extra three days, 100 years on earth, do you realize that 100 years on earth, it's a blip on the eternal screen? That's all it is, just a blip. And so, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, Jesus, So whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When Jesus taught, preached, he said that men and women were traveling along one of two roads. Men and women were going to one of two doors. Men and women were serving one of two masters. Men and women were building their lives on one of two foundations. Men and women were heading towards one of two destinies, heaven and hell. Why why would Jesus say that? Unless, of course, it's true. You see, this is why this is serious. It's not a game. It's not a trivial pursuit. It's worth exploring because of the consequences 
And if, you, if, if you've never explored it, can I encourage you, as Jago said, well, why don't you sign up and do a, a course once a week, for, just for a few weeks? And that's on offer to you um, after the summer. Explore it in case it's true. There's a graveyard in York, and in this graveyard there's a tombstone. Written on the tombstone are these words. Remember, friend, when passing by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Interesting words. Somebody read those words and disagreed with them, and they scratched an addition, and it's still there today. And they wrote, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. What is Christianity? It's an invitation. From God, delivered to us in Jesus, to you and me. What's it about? It's about forgiveness from the past. It's about new life here today. And it's about a hope for the future. RSVP. Sunday, the 7th of July, 2019. What have you done with your invitation? What would you like to do with your invitation? If you've accepted the invitation, and if Jesus is in the driving seat of your car, the car of your life, then you are the invitation to other people. But if you've never accepted the invitation... Why don't you accept the invitation? You know, I, I've discovered that not every question we ask will be answered before we become followers of Jesus. However, when you begin to open that door and let Jesus in, many of your questions begin to get answered. When I let Jesus into my life, I started to see in a way that I've never seen before. What is it that we need in life? We need insight, foresight, and oversight. That's what we need in life. Insight, like looking through a microscope. Foresight, like looking through a telescope. Oversight, like being in a helicopter and looking down at your home. Well, who has insight, foresight, and oversight? Only God does. So when you let God into your life, you start having insight, foresight, and oversight. You start seeing Some of you, you know you need to invite him in. Why don't you invite him in this morning? Others of you, you know that he's in the car of your life. But what it might, you might need to do today, you might need to reposition Jesus. That on this special Clapham Sunday, you know, for some of us, it could be a little bit like a spiritual MOT. Let's reposition Jesus. Let's realign. Let's reconnect. And so what we're going to do in a moment, and can I ask the worship group to please come? They're going to come and get ready. Is that we're going to, in a moment, we're going to sing a great classic hymn, Amazing Grace written by a man called John Newton. And John Newton 
he wrote this. He said, I broke all of God's commandments. So he knew about breakages. And he said, I was an adulterer, a murderer, a thief, a liar, a deceiver, and a cheat. But then I met Jesus. And he tried to articulate the effect of meeting Jesus was so transforming. He said it was amazing, undeserved. And he experienced that. And so what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. Could I ask you all first to stand, please? Thank you. We're going to start singing in a moment, Amazing Grace, and it's, it's four verses. Yes? Four verses, okay? When we begin singing it, if you would like to come, uh, get out, come out of your rows, out of the balcony, come down and come and stand here at the front, those of you that want to receive Jesus... If, if you are a member of this church and you've brought a friend or a relative, in a moment, turn to them and say, would you like to go and uh, would they like you to come with them? Accompany them. That's fine. Others of you, you know that today is a great opportunity for you to reposition Jesus, to realign your life. You come as well. You come. We, we, many of us need to keep doing this. And this is a perfect Sunday for you to do this. Now, look, why am I asking you to come and stand here? Look, it's really important to take a stand. While I've been speaking, your mind has been working. And maybe on occasions you thought, that was really interesting. On other occasions, your heart has been working and something may have stirred you. But nothing will happen unless you use your will. When two people get married, they stand there at the front. The minister says to the man, will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And he says, well, I've been thinking, actually. Well, we're glad he's been thinking, but that wasn't the question, was it? The question was, will you? And he goes, well, I get rather excited. Well, we're glad he gets excited, but that wasn't the question. The question was, will you? And the man goes, I will. And the minister says, good turns around to the woman, will you take this idiot to be your lawful wedded husband? <laughs> you know, sometimes many of us don't exercise our will. And so I want you to exercise your will and say, yes, I will. And I, I know what it's like. Look, we're all very human. You're probably thinking, oh, no, I'm in the middle of a row. I, I, how am I going to get out? Well, you just move. Honestly, people know where you're going and they'll make way for you. And if they don't, just push them. Get out. Look, come stand here at the front. Listen, if you can stand here in a church amongst many Christians, you'll be able to stand up out there tomorrow. But if you can't stand up in here, you'll never be able to stand up out there. And when you're, look, it's only four verses. Don't wait till the last line of the fourth verse. We're not going to sing the fourth verse a fifth time. It's, it's, that's it, right? If you're going to come, come, right? When you're all here at the end of Amazing Grace, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with me. 
Then I'm going to say a prayer for you. And then Jago, the vicar, he's going to wrap up. He's just going to bless us. And then what we're going to do, well, I would like to give you a postcard, this postcard of that painting. And I'd like you to write down Sunday, the 7th of July, Holy Trinity Clapham, and write down what you did. Keep this as a little memento of today. Also, the church is going to give you the Gospel of John, which I've quoted from, and they're also going to give you a book that I've written about the Christian faith that won't take you long to read, that will just help cement what you've heard, and we're just going to pray for you and send you on your way. That's it. That's all we're going to do. All we want to do is encourage you in your journey of faith. So, Thanks, guys. We are going to begin with Amazing Grace. As we do that, please come. And those that um, are going to be praying for the people that come out here, you come as well. Please come. Stand here at the front. Come now. Amazing Grace.